0: ah
1: <laughs> okay
0: sure no see okay we're starting out an episode that we're going to talk about philosophy on and after getting a degree in it my official take on philosophy as a whole is ah and i've given it and i'm done now
1: okay for the rest
0: of the episode i'll just be listening
1: <laughs> <laughs> you say that you're gonna have <laughs> takes. take don't lie don't lie it's not safe for wonks, and we're gonna do something up in here, something controversial, something a little bit a little bit edgy. That's right. We're gonna get edgy because we're gonna mix leftism and spiritualism. That's right. We're gonna do the thing. You can't mix these two together. They blow up, it explodes. Everyone knows this. It's like water and a wicked witch.
2: <laughs> a witch is of all witch. Of the things
3: that you a wicked said. witch.
1: <laughs>
2: is spiritual is spirituality the wicked witch or is it the water
1: no it's the water
2: okay (laughs) the left is the wicked witch
1: yes correct okay (laughs) and we hex the moon
0: hell yeah i too scream at the moon let's do it
2: rachel let's talk about that were you aware of all of that that whole cursing the moon kind of deal were you in that discourse
0: no i don't think so oh wait no i did i heard about this there were like some spiritualists on Twitter and they were doing like pagan magic things and one of them cursed the actual moon, right?
2: Yeah. Apparently a group of witches. A, yeah. A t- 2020 is so fucked up, man. A TikTok witches collective cursed. When the we're, historians... Oh God, we're in hell. <laughs> <laughs> there are fire tornadoes and a TikTok Witches Collective first the moon. the It's extreme <laughs> madness. Worst year in
0: human history. <laughs> I'm amazed. Um,
2: God Did damn. Did you even
1: mention the murder hornets? I mean, my God. But God, anyway. I just, why But when whenever Ugh. there's a story like the the moon hexing, there's always like a immediate outpouring on left Twitter of people being like, "Magical thinking is for babies who have never read a book. I will destroy them."
0: Yeah, yeah. like low fucking bar, dumbass. Just like <laughs> tweets
1: of that nature. Like just people love to just on left Twitter just like love to just like get like 500 likes for just like dunking on astrology with no real point or
2: substance. But well, you know why? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Astrology like the reason
0: is, why is very obvious.
2: Yeah, we oh. know. Uh, Rachel, stay, wait, wait two minutes to give your men's take. Um, no,
0: actually, no. Wait. That's oh. not actually where I'm going with this one. For once, okay. I'm not doing Ooh. misandry. The very oh. obvious reason why is a lot of the modern leftist internet movement directly descended from the like mid-aughties, early teens, anti-theist movement.
2: Correct. Right. That's yeah. literally going to be my... In- God damn it! I hate that you know that things. was Brandon's thesis. That's he was gonna Brandon. get a PhD for this. I was winding up, <laughs> preparing sorry. to make that my. Listen, everybody, I figured this shit out. So really, you the modern anti-spiritual Good. movement really has its roots in the anti-theist movement of the mid audies and really, you know, it was really reaction to the George W. Bush. <laughs> we can yes. all go back to. All of the people with the intellectual prominence now—people who grew up yelling "fuck Bush"—and what was Bush number one associated with? Fucking religious right. That was his yeah. entire fucking thing. That was the base of his coalition.
1: Yeah, I mean yeah. that was his justification for like everything. Was like Jesus, Jesus yep. is on my side, you
2: know.
0: Fucking Bill Maher. Y'all remember Bill Maher? Is he dead yet?
2: No. I nope. wish.
0: Damn, that sucks.
2: Rachel, like I told you, everybody lit. Like all the people you don't like are going to make it to ninety.
0: I know. Like, all of
2: us are going to just, like, die of stress and shit, trying to fix this shit. But the ghouls, like, they just have elite healthcare, and they've got somebody, just a a full-time employee that just wipes their ass. That takes a good five years off your life right there. Just the whole (laughs) butt wiping. Uh, Also, like, when you fall asleep, (laughs) they gently blow a fan on you, like, manually. Just mm-hmm. a couple of servants they just, just with of the rock, palm you. They rock you really gently.
1: You know, <laughs> back and forth.
0: Just, <laughs> and just their arm really,
1: yep. Yeah,
0: <laughs> they just whisper goodnight, precious.
1: Over and over again. Oh,
0: repeatedly, yes. Good
2: night, precious. Good night, precious.
0: Oh, precious. I hate this. I <laughs> stop. Oh.
2: You sound like you're going into the a-, a the ASMR game. Think about it.
0: You know, actually when you put it that way.
2: I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the all
1: time asthma champion at the the Asperger competitions.
0: Did you say the Aspergers competitions?
1: Yes. Yeah. No. Hey. <laughs> I said Canceled. Asmer. Cancel. Cancelled. You're trying to cancel me over fake shit. That's usually what it is. Rachel, what? You do I, I can destroy you. You you don't you don't oh, want to play easy. this game. Oh fuck! Make oh. of
0: be in that mask. Fuck.
1: <laughs> all I can say, folks, is that. If you ever want to cancel somebody Here's all, here's what you need to do Just convince them to go to the spa and get a charcoal mask Take a covert picture <laughs> And then you post it on Twitter They did blackface yeah, Boom! So... Canceled
0: <laughs> So oh. I may or may not have done a charcoal mask Without thinking about what that would look like On a camera
4: and, The um, worst part is charcoal masks work
0: <laughs> Yeah they're really good for your skin
4: I mean, Yeah I'm they are
0: like, But now like, Kennedy can ruin me with it
2: Yep it's gonna mm-hmm. happen <laughs> I was talking I was talking about um wait, before we get into that, Kennedy, do you have the picture?
3: Oh god. Yeah, I do. Wait, so is charcoal mask just code word for blackface? It is now. (laughs) This is God damn it. We didn't know the
0: blackface. Like, I'm gonna put on
3: I'm gonna put on a charcoal mask and be like, nah. I know what so, you're going to do. you to uh, blackface.
0: people can't use charcoal masks anymore is the takeaway. We're not allowed to have
1: We're not, not going to fix the police. Instead, we've all agreed to stop doing charcoal masks.
4: <laughs> and stop eating <laughs> off of charcuterie boards.
1: That's
2: uh-huh. right. Charcuterie is canceled as well. Uh, we know how fucking bad that was.
0: Rachel is definitely canceled.
2: Yeah, I-, I think the first episode of Red Clay we did, there was charcuterie actually, so... Oh, oh yeah, we-
0: I did. I put together a board for everybody.
2: Charcuterie is literally at our roots as a podcast. We're we're giga camp. Everybody
0: everybody needs to have like a rich friend.
2: It's true. It's true I'm the rich.
0: rich it's fine. I'm the rich friend. It's fine. It's fine. And I do blackface. Fuck it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, you know you Rachel, you know you know you've never you've never written your bio for the press for the press kit.
0: <laughs> we just did it. It's great. Yeah, it's just- <laughs> <You did> it. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: <bless me. laughs> yeah so as we we talk about like um religion and and backlash and of getting religion, canceled yeah yeah th- i mean talk you know, about religion <laughs> what is religion except the first form jesus really was canceled when you think about it he,
3: he was really yeah. like, he, he was the, the cancellation assassination yeah. he set the tone <laughs>
4: There was a, I think there was a reverend on Twitter that got canceled and then said, "You know what? Jesus got canceled as well. I'll die on this hill." That's fucking beautiful. Okay. So honestly, mild cool. respect for the sheer just
1: brass of that take. I don't even.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was like an anti-LGBTQ take. So
1: yeah, I, f- I figured. I knew. I knew if I got the
2: context, I was immediately going to hate it. What else is a minister <laughs> going to get canceled for? but i i will just say god damn it wait i'm gonna pause for a second
3: hey don't use the lord's name in vain. this is a christian (laughs) idealist this is a a christian podcast this is a christian podcast no all right i guess i'll peace out a
2: good christian podcast
0: things we don't do on this podcast because we're good christians we don't do cusses Mm We Get don't
4: it. do gay shit. We don't Oh, we don't you're just. Have sex. Okay, you're just spouting Christian normative stuff, then, right? Because I'm not Christian here. <laughs> That's true. Grab <laughs> us a Muslim. Look at you. you. Look <laughs> at you being Christo normative. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> I think, actually, if anything, I'm Islamophobic.
2: Islamophobic. Thorn- thornic. Thornic. Uh, oh no, he actually left <laughs> Yeah, no, oh, no. Grav's going off to cancel you right now, unfortunately
0: I know, right?
2: But as I was going to say, really, Jesus posted through it And uh, <laughs> 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 So the, the reverend's like, I'm going to post through it
0: too So like, where oh, does my Muhammad God. fit in the, like, Zoomer pantheon? Hey Welcome back, Grav So Grav, the question is, like you know, Jesus posted through it. What would Muhammad do on Twitter?
4: He'd be the type of activist or whatever that just be like, fuck Twitter, dude. Too many whiteys here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the prophet Muhammad would be Sarah Rao. <laughs> oh, gosh. We're, we're, just, we're just just begging to be canceled. I know, with- right? Yeah. yeah. That one actually will be used against me like years in the future, but whatever. The, I mean, good, not years in the future, We've dude.
0: covered some highly cancelable <laughs> graphs today. It's, be it's like fine. Two,
1: two days from now, before the episode is even published. Hershey got canceled.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Listen, wait. Uh, one of the things we talked about when I did Downtime Grift uh, with Grav was just that, you know, religion predates capitalism. Our interest in the unknown predates any mode of production like it predates production itself
0: yeah it's how we got
2: there it is how we got to that's a great point damn this is rachel you you say so little and do so much um that's what was <laughs> the last time you heard someone say you say so little
0: never <laughs>
2: never yeah, this is the first this time is the
0: first time yeah
2: uh, but you know given that you know we have this relationship with religion it's Seems unlikely that we will find a mode of production that eliminates religion. That that'll never happen. Or eliminates superstition, even. Or eliminates.
0: Yeah, there's no doing that. Because you're do-
2: talking about philosophy, basically. You're talking about human curiosity.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're talking about the sort of inherent urge to explore and play with things and like really test the limits of your imagination and that's ultimately like when we start talking about phenomenology or metaphysics or ontology we're talking about people stretching the limits of their imagination for the nature of existence and reality itself
2: which is good shit before we go to phenomenology and like really intelligent shit what how what are your feelings about religion in science fiction are there any interesting religious groups in star trek does star trek talk about religious groups very often
0: actually no not really. But the
2: Jorans kind of have an interesting religion. The yeah. Orville uh, has a uh, has a creator who literally <laughs> is from the uh, mid uh anti-conservative milieu. Like, he literally <laughs> is the kind of Twitter poster that we're talking about. So, of course, <laughs> uh, the Orville is extremely like any religious person is backward. To a degree, wait, bring that up. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, d- damn. I would have come up to that. But I'll let you do it in a minute, Lau. As we transition to actual intelligent conversation but um the orville is rude enough to religion that a character calls the captain out on their religious bias because seth mcfarlane you know plays the captain and is like literally the self-insert character um and is reaching an age probably like all of us are kind of reaching in our own ways where we're getting out of the uh mid-audies anti-religious mode And we're thinking about this from a wider perspective and we're considering other and more viewpoints on these traditional struggles of materialism versus magical thinking. Tying it all together. Hell yeah.
0: So like the idea that materialism, idealism and magical thinking are mutually exclusive, I think is problematic in its own right. Mm. You know, I think that they are different approaches to looking at things.
1: Yeah. And I think it speaks to like a limitation of like thinking sometimes. I think people often struggle to like see the walls of their own mind, so to speak. Right. And this is true of everyone. This is true of me. Right. So I'm not like I'm not like judging. But what I'm saying is that like it's hard to see what are the limits and boundaries of my own thinking. Right. And like I think a lot of people approach religion and leftist thinking this way where like they can't really see past like their kind of direct, limited experiences and thinking about this stuff. And I think Marx, this was true of Marx himself. I think that Marx really was only capable of critiquing Western imperial religion and that like he he didn't know anything about anything else. Like if I'm being real, he knew about ancient religions that had died out, but I don't think that he knew about like contemporary, like non-imperialistic, non-dogmatic religion in his own time. Right. And like I think that that has like that thinking like those walls of thinking have stayed in the minds of a lot of people on the left to this day where when they're they're like their analysis of Marx kind of necessarily includes this religion must go and like it's never going to work out, first of all. And second of all, I actually don't think it's ideal for the leftist movement or for religion, which is another, that's an even spicier topic in some ways because I think a lot of people fail to see, like, how could religion be benefited by a leftist society? But I actually think there's so many ways.
3: (laughs) Yeah. You know, as someone who sort of, I guess, like describes themselves as like a sort of Christian existentialist i think like talking about this kind of anti-theist thing that started in like what the the 90s you know there's a very particular way about how they talk about religion and it's in a very um intellectualized way right so when i think like people like christopher hitchens and richard dawkins talk about religion it's always mostly usually in these sort of like thought experiments or in these very rigid and formal arguments. And, you know, I think that ignores one important and significant part about religion, which is the um, experiential dimension, right? Like, religion isn't something that can't just be thought about and intellectualized. Like, it's something, religion is something that has, for one of its major components, experience. And so what does it mean to have a religious experience is something that I think most people kind of ignore right so we just kind of get into these intellectual mind games and formalizations about you know what religion is and how how it's true or how it's false and we never talk about well what does it mean to live a spiritual life or a religious life right
4: so i want to also add and say that religion's going to outlast any struggle It's just it's just the fact we will always think about our current life and what happens after this. And to that extent, religion will always be a thing. I I don't think it will ever go away as much as people would like to believe it would. It just I just don't believe it will ever. I think the problem is, is that we're coming from an American like leftist sort of standpoint on a lot of this. And because we are, we conflate religion with Western Christianity. And because we conflate it that way, right. we we talk about it in broad strokes. But in reality, like I'm I'm Muslim, um, but I also know other Christians and um Catholics who observe like leftist values and leftist uh and politics and stuff like that within their own religion. And I think like you really like as a leftist. As much as like there's that edgy atheism that's kind of taken hold from like the late or from the early 2010s till now um, in the American leftist movement because of how bad evangelical Christians have been for the past couple of decades. If you look at like I read uh, Islam, a short history, right, to get me started on my path. And in that book, it's a very short book, but um, there's been sectarian fighting going on for over a millennium in the Muslim world. (laughs) Uh, You know, between the Sunnis and the Shiites and all the other sectarian stuff that goes on. And uh, my God, you guys think that leftist infighting online is bad? (laughs) These people will like have like blood libel between Sunnis and Shiites. And I've seen it online, like where like a Muslim will die from some X, Y or Z reason. And then like Sunnis would be like, oh, my God, that's so crazy or whatever. We need to help out the family, etc. And then they figure out they're Shiites and they go, oh, no. Screw them. <laughs> you know, like it's like it gets to that sort of point. So, yeah, like that sort of sectarianism is very much as real as it is in the left about, oh, you're you're a Trotskyist. Oh, can't we all agree about anti-capitalism? It's like, yeah, it's the Islam has been dealing with that for, for fucking ever, dude. Um, And, you know, you also have the Irish uh, Republican movement between the Catholics versus the Protestants and stuff like that. So there's like a lot to be learned. And I think the biggest lesson of all coming out of it for me is that, you know, we are one Uma. We are all human. You know, we are all in this experience together and we are only as good as the least powerful among us. And therefore, we should fight to like bolster that that voice and that power. You know, like if you are in a position of power, you should do what you can to help the powerless. Um, and that's essentially, like, what I got out of it, just as, like, a real basic, like, level of, like, non-religious type of segment. But, yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy to think about, because, like, I was discussing this with some of my Muslim friends who are who are also communists. I talked to them about it. I'm like, what is this stuff? And they're like, yeah, it's stupid. I know. It's been going on forever. How do you convince, like, it's so hard to convince these people of, like, hey, we're all one great ummah when they want to be, like, sectarian about it and all that other stuff, you know? So it's just funny, like, <laughs> Like, that's why I laugh. I laugh at times about the tendency fighting now whenever I see it. Cause it's just, you guys are just ridiculous sometimes. And not just when you see it online on Twitter, it's just like, you guys don't even know. You guys just don't even know how bad it can get.
1: I'm curious to hear from everyone here about something because I think that, like, When you talk about like that teaching, that's very powerful for you about how like, you know, we all kind of are from the same place. And like, by raising up the lowest voice, we're like making everything better for everyone. That sounds really socialist. And I think a lot of religions, not all of them, certainly, but a lot of religions have these tendencies where it's like you actually read the text This is definitely true of Christianity. This is definitely true of, like, just, like, a number... To an extent, Judaism, although, as a Jewish person, I will say, like, I've studied that stuff a lot. And, like, that is complicated. That's a whole thing. But, like... But a lot of religions have a pretty like positive attitude towards the idea of like kind of helping the helpless, being selfless, being good to your community, being a good neighbor, et cetera, et cetera. And yet we never really seem to see that in like the mass scale versions of it. Why do you guys think that that is? Because like we know that money corrupts everything, but it seems like religion in particular gets extremely twisted to like a, 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 a really massive degree. So, I want to start by
0: recommending a book. Um, this is very, very old book. I will check exactly when it was written. It's called Decisive Treatise. It is um, by a philosopher, Ibn Rushd, or uh, I think Avirawise, he also went by. It came out, I don't know exactly when, sometime between, sometime during the uh, 12th century, it came out. And he was a Muslim philosopher who, in this book, was sort of examining this question of, like, how to interact with religion and with the Quran and also be a scientist. I had to sort of synthesize these things. And he cited a specific line in the Quran that was, consider you who have sight. And the reason that line itself, the line, consider you who have sight. It's like a rough translation, obviously. And the sort of larger overarching point he was making was that not every person is like cognitively or intellectually able or interested to do that kind of like deep philosophical, like examination of these things that we believe that being said these things that we believe fundamentally inform our identities they fundamentally inform our approaches to problems like they are central to the way we conceive of ourself and the way we conceive of our place in the world and the universe so when you start threatening someone's religious beliefs you know or their spiritual beliefs like you're threatening the foundation of their reality itself you know
4: what a- what author did that book if you don't mind
0: Ibn Rushd or Avirawise, I will – we can put them in the show notes, uh, and I'll send you a quick link to it. It is one of the best books I've ever read. I gave a talk on it back when I used to do philosophy for real, and uh, it was, like, extremely important, and I think you would like it very much, yes. But, like, the sort of – the large point was, like, a lot of people are really full of shit and don't realize it. Not that he would have said it that way, but, like, there are a lot of people who really – don't understand why they believe the things they believe. And so when we have this, like, infighting, when we have this, like, infighting, I think it's because people are challenging each other's ideas, and then that becomes, like, an existential threat.
1: Thank you, Grav, for joining us briefly. Grav had to go.
2: Yeah. Uh, I was really worried because I was like, me and Grav have done three-hour episodes. What What's going to happen with everybody here at once? But, you know, I was sitting here listening to Rachel be fucking so smart and fucking know books uh. from 10 years ago, and the author's name and all the other From shit
0: 10 years ago.
2: Yeah, just so old ass ten shit. Years
0: ago when it was the 12th century. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, even further back. Right. <laughs> Either way, I'm sitting here like, wow, what a great job. This is so Rachel's on the show and suddenly it's like some NPR quality shit. Which is <laughs> yeah, wow, because
0: I'm PNC. Don't take it seriously. No, but <laughs> like, I was like just because I can perform upper middle class.
2: But no, wait. <laughs> But it's great. But this is great, too, because this is my skill. The fucking copy, the smooth transition out of nowhere. So I think in Islam, there was, you know, in your statement, a lot of discussion about the freeness and availability of helping those who don't know. The freeness and availability of knowledge. It's and worth
0: I, mentioning, by the way, that he actually lost that argument to a guy named Al-Ghazali who was directly responsible for occasionalism. Occasionalism is the belief that for anything to happen, God has to literally directly cause it to happen, as opposed right. to, like, God in the machine. And actually, uh, mm. the guy who wrote the book I mentioned lost that battle in the long run within Islam.
2: What a shame. Uh, yeah. that's incre- That's an entire episode we could go into.
0: Literally, yes.
2: I love doing audio episodes because, like, every 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 episode we're like we could do an episode on this
0: Mm -hmm. but anyway
2: in islam there's this thing about the availability of knowledge and i think in christianity and biblical culture every message is not meant for certain people it's not you know directly in in, like if you read the bible it's like the authors will just turn to the camera and be like a lot of people aren't going to understand what's about to be said and that's good. This isn't meant for, for them. This is meant for those with the wisdom to hear, like literally in the Bible, those with ears to hear and all that kind of shit. Um, yeah. Not let those who can hear listen, you know, which is, it's the exact opposite theory in yeah. certain ways. And given yeah. that, does that have like a reflection in Christian culture or in the way that we approach politics um, where we maybe are less community oriented?
3: I don't know. Well, there's one There's one really particular no pun intended, but there's one particular problem that you find with like in these like modes of thinking like science or politics or philosophy. And it's the interaction or the relationship between what's particular and what's universal, right? So universal being something that you know, applies to everything. You know, when we talk about, like, the individual, we talk about the individual in terms of a universal. Like, you're an individual, I'm an indiv- individual, we're all individuals. But also, on the you know, on the other hand, we also are particular selves. Like, there's only one particular Lao, there's only one particular Rachel, Kennedy, Brandon, etc. And so, you know, I-, I think it's just to speak about, like, I guess like Christianity a little bit, it's like interesting how like, you know, Christian faith is available to everyone and that's a universal, you know, thing. But at the same time, it's like, if you're stuck in a particular way of living, if you're kind of swayed by your own desires, sometimes that might not correspond with like a faithful life, then, you know, the message of Christianity gets lost on deaf ears, you know? Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, one thing to say is, like, it's really hard to think about, you know, universals and like what applies universally to people because we it seems like we're talking about uh, universals in this really abstract way. Sometimes like we're all just kind of assumed to be individuals. We're all kind of just assumed to be Americans. We're all just kind of assumed to live in a democracy when in fact, like in our very particular lives, that might not be true. Right. Yeah. sure. I
0: actually have an alternate explanation for this. Um, and this is... I, I will say, I actually personally am an atheist. I have... I was raised as an atheist, like... Well, I was raised, you know, without any particular religion, and I defaulted to atheist, right? And so, for me, like, I bear no ill will to religion, but I frequently look at it as sort of just perpetually something I am outside of. And I just want to declare that bias up front, because it seems, like, you know, kind of relevant here. But I think... When you talk about a person as an individual or a particular, right, that only exists within a single instant, right? Like when you talk about a person in aggregate, we are talking about a story that we're telling ourselves about what has already happened and what is likely to happen, or, you know, how one action caused a reaction or will cause a reaction, right? We're thinking about these particulars in this sort of infinite spectrum of moments and the way that they participate in sequence, right? Participate in, like, beingness itself. And so, you know, when we talk about, like, these contextualizations, like, I think really we're approaching this, from a narrative perspective. And religion becomes part of that narrative, right? Religion becomes sort of like the framework on which a person builds their ontological or deontological understanding of the world. And I think that's useful. You know, I think it's appealing. I think it can bring people a lot of comfort. You know, I don't know if any of it's like true in the capital T sense, but I think it matters.
1: I, I think the interesting thing about this conversation a lot of the time of like truth and religion is that like, we we mentioned like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens earlier, and something that they tend to do a lot is like discredit people for being religious, even when some of those people are objectively much better scientists than either of them ever were. And like, I, I always think there's an interesting thing to like some of this stuff where like, I feel like there's an assumptiveness That whenever someone starts presenting uh, an aspect of magical thinking that's, like, a part of their internal logic, that, like, they haven't really thought about that. That they Mm -hmm. haven't really considered that. They don't know what it means. They're just saying that. And, of course, sometimes that is true. And and the anti-theist movement, of course, like is centered in, like, these sort of hard truths about some of this stuff because, let's just be real, a lot of it just comes directly from, like, being raised in, like, a shitty religious household and hating it, right? So, like, you know, so, like, people tend to, like, look at that and it's, like, okay, well, I assume that, like, everybody that, you know, is talking about any of this stuff is just, like, my hypocritical dad who always said he believed in the Bible, but didn't, couldn't quote a word of it. And like, you know, uh, claimed to have all these values, but like clearly didn't live them ever for one second or whatever. You know what I mean? Like,
0: like that's the person that Avera Wise was warning us about.
1: Right. And that's like the picture that a lot of people have in their mind when they think of like, just, re- and they might think of like, not everybody's that bad, but everybody's that dishonest when it comes to religion, you know? And yeah. like, that's one of the like things that I think is like most challenging sometimes to like get people to just sort of like consider the viewpoint of it. I'm not saying you, but I'm just saying like like the like w- when this is like on Twitter and stuff, you know, is like actually these people might have given this a lot of thought.
2: <laughs> like uh, Rachel, Rachel, who is Wise? Piruwise?
0: Wise, aka Ibn Rushd, is the one who wrote Decisive Treatise in uh, the 1100s. Yeah. And that was like the central thing of his book is like there are people for whom religion is only what other people have told them and it can only ever be that. Like there are people that will never come to religion on their own and will only ever interact with religion as it has been explained to them by somebody else. And then another third group of people basically only interact with it as a set of rules that they follow and they don't make any effort to understand it at all. It's just like literally a script that they follow.
2: Yeah. I in other words a genuinely religious person you know might not react to someone just saying i'm here for paschal's wager and right. do this and <laughs> yeah. that that spiritually terrify you or at least bug you i want to kind of steer i guess now that i'm being playing the referee in the generational <laughs> drama debate i'm gonna ask all three of you and start with a yes or no answer and i'll allow you to elaborate at a later time rachel have mm-hmm. you ever lied for political ends for uh propaganda and knowingly either completely lied or knew that you were acting in bad faith hmm. yes kennedy same question
1: i don't want to just sound like an arrogant asshole but i don't think so
2: lao
3: i would say yes but m- ah. most el- okay ah. mm. <laughs> okay
2: now let's elaborate lao what do you got do you have a yes but
3: probably like Unconsciously or maybe unknowingly, like if it's I would...
2: unconsciously, I would I would say it doesn't count. The word "lie" okay. like has a like be, you know lying versus being yeah. formed or having an incomplete like a uh, like an lie is
1: an like intentional practice. truth. Yes. Truth is a practice, not a not a state. Ah, right. yeah.
2: God, yeah, that's the title of the episode, by the
3: way. Yeah, yeah. As a, not, as a practicing truther, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I think th- I think that pretty much rings true. Like I haven't really intentionally like lied in order to get like some political benefit.
0: Yeah. All right. So here's Rachel. the way I have lied. Yes. Uh, there are certain people in politics who you may not like who you may actively dislike, who may have been chair of DSA at one point or Metro Atlanta DSA at one point, who you actively dislike, but they have a lot of power. And if you alienate them, it will stop you from being able to do the work. And they're kind of shitty. Right. And it's not just this, you know, it's not just fucking Khalid. It's like a common thing when you do politics. There are some really shitty people doing it who you can't afford to alienate. And I am nice to them anyway. And I would consider that like deliberately misrepresenting the way I feel about them as a person, what I think about their ideas and like doing flattery which is kind of a lie, but I've never like said, somebody did something they didn't or said something was like true. That wasn't, you know, I've never deliberately manipulated the situation to like misrepresent my intentions, but it didn't feel like
1: a larger
2: movement,
0: but yeah, but it was absolutely dishonest. Yeah. Yeah. Like being nice to people, just because you can't afford not to be nice to them is not exactly being honest.
2: That's right. a very broad view of lying. So I'm going to ask a follow-up question. Wait. That Wait, all right. Wait, because I want to talk about this just a
1: little uh, bit more. I didn't more. know that
2: you w- wanted to talk about your no answers. Um.
1: Yes. Oh, well, I, that too. I wanted to talk a little yeah, bit, bit more about the nature of truth, okay. but really quick, let me do this too. Yeah. I, I just want to say it kind of depends on what you mean by politics, I guess. Because maybe if we broaden the, the scope enough, I can't say that I've never lied for gain, but like I've always approached politics relatively honestly in terms of like, I, I really just want to like tell people what I know and think to be true based on like the massive amount of like being into this stuff that I've done. Um, And like, I don't really like, my intention has never been to give someone false information in that regard. So there is that. Um, And I can't really think of a time when I did. But on the other hand, this is what I'll say about the nature of truth is that, like I said, truth is a practice. So what does that mean? So that means that like inside you, you have a feeling or a sense about what's true or not at any kind of given moment or time or, or, or on any subject, okay? And like you might not have like a total clarity of truth, but you have like something. You kind of have like a guiding beacon, and you know when you're not being loyal to that. Like you can just feel it. Um, it's not like a, it's not like something that anyone has to explain to anyone. Everyone knows when they're being dishonest, except for compulsive liars, which is like a very particular kind of uh, you know, mental state to be in, and is not the typical like the way that most of us function cognitively around these issues. So if you're not one of those people, then like you you know when you're being dishonest, okay? But how do you know that? It's just, it's really just a feeling, right? So what is that based on? It's based on just your best assessments of whatever situation are at hand. And those assessments can always be like changed or improved, right? And so like the idea, a lot of people have gotten really, especially like anti-theists on like the new atheist kind of left, I've gotten really into the idea of like absolutist truth, but that has never existed in all of history.
0: Yeah, that's not real.
1: Uh, And even even when you have video footage of an event, video footage, you know, like people tend to think of that as like the the eye of God almost. Right. And even that can be misleading in so many different ways that like it's still not necessarily the truth. Right.
2: Yes. Let's put a pin in this because I have a, a small diversion that's going to bring us back into uh, our, our objective views of the truth. I had this question about just lying for political ends. And I feel like all of us kind of punted the the malicious lie versus the sacrificial lie. We'll come back to that in a second. So I want to really challenge you on, on that point. Would you lie in the sense that Kennedy you're talking about in a way that you feel and know is done in a malicious way to stop a genuinely bad person or a genuinely bad material result. Like, and let's say that it, there's a rumor or a story that you know 100% is false, and but using it or repeating it in a public forum would, you? and this, let's say it's a very small town, not like the podcast world where nothing is real, but your saying so on a forum would stop this bad person or thing from happening. But the person looks at you and is like, you are a liar and bad or not bad as the person is, that will be the absolute fact. Would you do this?
0: I don't think that is a good idea to do. I think that is a very, very unwise strategy because if ever it comes out that you deliberately lied, everything you have ever said gets called into question. You know, you don't get a second chance at being perceived as honest after you get caught in a lie. That's just not how it works. And so much of people's ability to be persuasive, to mobilize people to do things, to effectively communicate ideas to people, relies on other people finding them trustworthy. And you don't get a second chance at that one. You just
2: don't. Kennedy, I'm just going to add the, the caveat that it may come out that you were lying and it might not. Uh, yeah. I, it's, it, to you. Maybe it's not. My it's Pascal's of,
0: wager is don't lie.
2: Sure. Uh, who knows? The story won't continue beyond this point. You are going to stop a genuinely bad person policy, but you, you do have to be completely outrageously dishonest. I don't think I
1: could do that. I think that uh, it's very antithetical to who I am (laughs) as just like, and how I approach politics in particular. Again, I'm not trying to claim that I'm perfect and never lied for gain. I would say in particular, like many years ago, uh, I was very dishonest about a lot of things when I was like, just trying to like further a music career and stuff like that. But like the way I approach politics is like just different than that. And I just feel that like, if you can't, take that bad thing down on the terms of it being bad then like that's a failure of some kind and like this is this is kind of like the joe biden question in a way right like
2: god damn it y'all are so fucking smart i had this thing plotted (laughs) out like i'm gonna leave them there over the course of like 15 minutes and you just cut right it's fine go ahead we'll go with your next question then brandon (laughs) well ah damn it no, this was these, these were the questions, but how important is it to be honest? You know, we're having this tension between generations on religion and that younger generation believing that that absolute truth is so important that they're not willing to embrace dishonesty if it achieves a goal. So let's, that's kind of what's at the core of all of this.
1: I mean, I think you see that a lot in like a lot of the progressive politicians that uh, ran in 2020, uh, a lot of them were completely unwilling to do anything remotely as dirty as their opponents, right? Like we just we just saw that blatantly. Now I'm not saying that none of them. I'm sure a few of them were willing to get their hands dirty and did probably right. But like, for the most part, we talked to a lot of these people like Lauren Ashcraft didn't like dig up any dirt on anybody. You know what I mean? Like, like, a lot of these people just simply did not really like play the dirtiest parts of this game to that extent. And like, yeah. I don't know that it was to the benefit of the left. Like, I will be honest. Like, you're asking this question, and I think it's a valid question. I don't know that it's to the benefit of the left per se to do that, especially in the short term. But on the other hand, like, this is kind of one of those areas where it's like, well, if we're not keeping a certain level of integrity, what do we have?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you have to compromise what you're trying to do to get there, then you're not going to get there. You just can't.
2: That is what makes you guys leftists. You can't
0: cannot. assimilate, you know. Although I, I,
2: I suppose a leftist, uh, like a leftist, could say yes to this. In fact, there are many leftists that would scold us for not saying yes.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. There are plenty of leftists who would literally sell like their own children. Well, like
2: well, if it did what they thought was right. Yeah. And as we yeah, so as we talk about it, but we're not authoritarian I, leftists you asked you came to me and you asked questions about the nature of the truth like what it like what is true whereas a different wing of the left would have instead of thinking about their integrity and talking about that their follow-up questions would have been like what is the material effect of this political end you know what i mean they would have bargained on that entire line of thinking what's going to happen who is this person how bad are they So it's a completely it doesn't necessarily mean one is awful and one is bad or whatever. It's just two completely different views of the terms on which you can embrace false politics or religiality. Because there's an internal benefit, you know, to embracing even if you know that something is false, like instead of it beating Mitt Romney, it can be psychological comfort inside your place inside of the world. But,
1: But like check this out, check this out. Yeah. Is lying material? or immaterial. Like a lot of leftists would say it's immaterial because it's right. not like physical. Right. Um but are all do are all things that are material physical? Fuck no. Oh
2: god. All um, right, wait a second. Oh, that's wild because yeah. Now you've got that. Idea. <laughs> you've gone straight to the matrix. Is lying material or immaterial? Because basically you're asking, does, does, does the social structures bend us in certain ways and can bend our spirituality and our spiritual alignment? Yes. I think there's a large branch of the left that would say, yes, that is the case. That lying is material. And in a fear society, people would be perfectly honest because there wouldn't be material fear that comes from dishonesty. So if lying is material, so
1: here's the question, right? So if lying for a material end could be considered, but if lying itself is also material, then lying, the lie itself has its own material ends, right? So that's, that's where I kind of land with a lot of this stuff is like, yes, there might be a material benefit to the lie, but the lie itself is material and has its own material ends. And those because it's a lie will almost always be negative or they'll just be neutral in the sense that like it's never revealed. But like, right. there's not really like a positive like way to reveal a lie usually, unless it's like a really clever ruse. You know, you're doing like, like you're like, you're like the, the yes men and you're like exactly. doing like that. Right, like it's a prank. You know, yeah. but and even otherwise, that,
2: even your your ability to get away with lying is also fucking material. Um, your ability to to be false and then be greeted like you know in return as if that is true is also like a product of class and societal relationships and power. Got a real
0: a spicy hot take here.
2: But t- I'm circling back to you, Rachel, because why did you lie? Because of that material thing.
0: So uh, here's my spicy hot take. Actually, Good. everybody's a liar. Everybody's a fucking liar. Every single person is a liar. It's just a matter of degree. We are not just lying to each other. We lie to ourselves. Right. You know, Rachel,
2: what would a, a perfect ideal society do to, would we lie less? Or do we spiritually need more than any material society can ever give us, which produces vacuums in ourselves and makes us lie?
0: We lie for so many reasons that in fact, sometimes not lying is considered rude
1: yeah so that's societal yeah that's big time capitalist society stuff. here's the
0: thing is like let's say somebody paints something and like your kid your child brings you a painting that they made and it's a shitty painting because like a three-year-old made it right how do (laughs) you respond to it
2: you say i love it yeah and you do love it
0: and you do yeah that's not it's not a lie but then you say oh this is so good it's so great like you did awesome those kinds of encouragement that are like sort of aspirational? Yes. I consider to lie. You know?
1: I don't think that should be considered a lie, actually. And here's why is because a- aspirational building somebody up is like it's relative to the level of like skill that they're at, basically. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Like
1: a kid, a kid doing art and like they don't know how to do art,
2: like telling them that what it's if, good. Yeah, but even if all right, what if they're I, bad? I, what if they're what if Rachel picks up Ellie's picture and she's like, this is bad, even by kid's standards. What right. Is
0: she right. <laughs> Or, like, what do you do with somebody who, like, can't help it, you know? Do you tell somebody they're annoying?
3: As someone who's on the opposite theistic spectrum from Rachel, I actually agree that, to some extent, everyone does lie to themselves. And the way... I mean, I'm not disagreeing with the core. No. Right, right, right the way that i think about it is like irony right so like when you say something or when you believe something and you act in a way that's opposed to it or contrary to it you're acting in irony and i think from for someone who's like i guess like theistic i think Mm -hmm. for me like the absolute truth is still i guess something that i assume in my life which might not be true for an atheist but the thing I think the thing that we share in common is that if there is an absolute truth and we're kind of living life as it is, you know, there's not going to be any one particular time where we're living in like absolute relation to like an absolute self, right? Like in religion, like it's really, it's really common to think about like, you know, your true self or like your actual self. And like, it's really hard to like bring that into like your own reality when you're acting ironically all the time. And when you when you promise yourself things that you don't fulfill, right? But the thing that, kind of interests me is like this idea that like um that you can be more of yourself like you would think like okay well hold on if i'm already myself then how can i be more of it and it's this kind of like dialectical trick to like kind of like escape like a deterministic you know, universe cause and effect, like, oh, you know, like everything has a cause and effect and everything's all necessary. And so we just kind of go on this this one trage- trajectory and that's who I'm going to be for like the rest of my life. I'm always going to be who I am. But I think this is relevant because to be more of yourself is kind of like a weird kind of contradictory religious sort of thing where it's like, well, I'm already myself, but how can I be more of it? And I think, I don't know. It's just kind of like an interesting.
1: So I got something here, because this might be a little bit of a hot take. But like, I, I do agree with the general idea that we're all liars. I do 100% agree with that. And as I said, truth is a practice, those two statements kind of have to go together in my mind, right? Like, if truth is a practice, then like, there are days when you don't make 100%. That's just reality, you know, and like, it can even be like small things, right? But like, so here's the thing. Okay. So I, I think the important question, though, is like, what actually is dishonesty or lying at a certain level is like where you have to kind of go with this because I think that like a lot of us in like Western American society have absorbed this sort of puritanical like policing of guilt and like like searching for like micro lying and things like that in our own behavior and like kind of like things that like I wouldn't say necessarily like things like telling your kid they did a good job with their art like I don't feel like that's a lie personally. Because I feel like you're just, you're being uh, positively aspirational towards a child. Like, I, I don't feel like that should be, because here's the thing. There's no quality of deception. Now, it'd be one thing if you told your kid every if your kid's producing crap, and you told them every day, you could be a famous artist. That's lying. There's, right? Well, because Kennedy, that's deceptive. Um, Kennedy, there's
2: there's that universal person-to-person deception that you're talking about. Why is that about, not encouraging? And there's the deception of, like, you're telling a lie about a politician and maybe only you know. and You're deceiving yourself. So you are lying to the kid, like, and all of us, all of us are on a podcast. We all know each other very well, right? We know each other's strengths very well. We also know each other's weaknesses very well. If something happened, and we all like, let's just say like we caught a fucking virus or some shit, and we all became intensely hateful towards each other, all of us (laughs) know enough that we could fucking hurt each other in like really fucking fucked up ways sure we have that knowledge of each other but we've never said any of those things it's not lying to not say the things that would hurt each other that's part of what i mean about deception but but we're we're not being deceptive to each other it's maybe like an internal deception because you love someone yeah. and want them to be happy.
1: But this is where my hot take comes in. And I get that maybe no one's going to agree with me here and that's okay. But yeah, this is my hot take is that I feel like there has to be an act of deception that right. you personally feel is dishonest. Like I, I don't feel like it's, it's oh. dishonest, for instance, well, okay. to omit a personal detail about somebody else. Okay, that's fine. Um,
2: Kennedy, keep let's... So For the sake of us having this argument just about the the word line, let's say that that other, that honest line, the line that comes from love, that all humans will have no matter what the system is. Let's say that is a psychic misdemeanor. It's not like a wrong, but it's just an act that must be acknowledged. Do you still count it as this, like, it qualifies as that, right?
1: But that's the problem. That's the, that's the whole problem with this like this like mi- policing of like micro yeah, I'm not guilt. Saying like a- like,
2: <laughs> like like no micro I girl, just, I just don't want this. jail. I'm not saying jail. No, I'm just I, saying get, that, I get that. I get that. speedometer. You know, we don't have to pull you over. There's a tendency
1: with puritanical guilt to overemphasize the policing of tiny personal actions and to underemphasize things like a greater sense of honesty. And I think like when we talk about this, like truth, I think that like, you have to cultivate a greater sense of
2: truth in some situations. You do want to chase down truth. I'm, I'm hearing you cultivate your own view on this. You are a person <laughs> that will chase truth individually, but not to the micro level that you're watching yourself like down to the cells. I just don't think that's productive
1: is what I'm getting at and I don't think that that kind of thinking like I think that that kind of thinking is actually kind of counterproductive to actually working on like greater truth because if you're spending all of your time worried about this is kind of like the nature of sin right Lau, I want you to follow up on me here because I feel like you'll have something to say this is kind of like the nature of sin and and like the teachings of Jesus in a way because Jesus was trying to tell us like focus on like the bigger picture shit and forgive yourself for like stealing that loaf of bread or like you know looking at your like neighbor's ass or whatever like let some of that stuff go i'm 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 dying so that you can let that stuff go and focus on some bigger shit
2: all right rachel i i want to i want to challenge you just for takes and Lao, you're coming up next will you follow truth down to the cellular the cellular level Mm -hmm. will you follow truth
0: well, so that brings me around to my very spicy hot take that I was going to give a minute ago or thought i yes, give a Rachel. minute ago. Uh, I love that. Yes, it paper, is lying. I was lying thought, and also, I, lying I was is gonna,
2: I was going to tee you up. Sometimes, <laughs> <I> was, sometimes <laughs> lying the, is good. The, I, the, I, I've been sitting here writing notes. And the mm-hmm. note that I wrote, Rachel, colon, will you embrace mm-hmm. the sin of lying to yourself as a lie? And Rachel says, yes, that's fine. I'm trying to build this thing.
0: Some of the things, like, okay, um, so here's, like, an example. People who are in a happy, healthy relationship tend to actually artificially inflate how good a person... Like, if you ask them, like, how good do you think they are at this thing? They'll give you an inflated number. Same thing for people who have high self-esteem. Like, a healthy amount, to be clear... Of healthy right. just, self talking? Just
1: lying <laughs> to yourself
0: about how good you are at things or how important you are. No, like this is like literally like scientifically studied. Like these are just like numbers that exist. I will look for the studies and see if I can send you some links to them. But like actually understood, like a marker of a healthy person and a healthy relationship is willingness to lie and exaggerate how good somebody or something is. And that's good. It's healthy. We should do that. We should lie to ourselves about being better than we actually actually are just a little bit to encourage ourselves to actually be better. And this is
2: why divorce sucks because like Rachel's obviously like so much true because you've. Been-
0: yeah. Oh, people who are depressed exactly. or who are about to get divorced actually have the most accurate literally- like read on themselves and others. Like statistically speaking, this is true. Being Being honest with yourself about yourself is depressing.
2: Yeah, you've welled up all of this, you know, that's really the real tragedy of divorce. It's really all of this welled up love that you've had for the other person. Um, And, you know, life happens and just all of, like, you've been bearing the burden of, you know, your normal psychological interactions with another person. You, like, ah, blah, 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 blah. But you... You probably don't even, you've probably never even said any of these things out loud, and so you've held it back, and then all of like all of your damned up feelings just spill out all at once, and you throw shit and burn shit and sabotage shit, and you poison his fucking dog or some evil shit like that. Just (laughs) no, but no, you you've heard you've never heard that story about like the divorce couple that won the husband's dog in the divorce, and then put the dog to sleep. Like I've, but like you're a woman, you know wild divorce stories, so.
0: No, what the fuck?
2: Just, just because of that.
3: Um, <laughs> it's fine.
0: Y'all can't see the face I just made at Brandon, but there was a face.
3: I will say, this is relevant, super relevant, because everyone likes to talk about what's true and what's false, but one underlying principle that I don't think people talk enough of is the relationship between hiddenness and revelation, because what can be hidden or what can be revealed is always in relation to what's true and what's false. And to bring it back to this sort of conversation that we're having about like religion and the left, and this kind of like infighting that we're doing this suspicion of like people sinning and like trying to figure that out is like when your attitude start with doubt or um skepticism right you're gonna look at someone else's history and you're gonna try to reveal whatever is false about their past in order to bring it up to the present and try to like show well this person's a sinner right blah 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 but i i think i think that's the the main mode of not just leftists but also just like cancel culture in general right like you just want to look at someone's past find out anything that they've done wrong in the past just bring it up and then just bring it to light and reveal it and to make it relevant right and i think you know that's the well, I
0: think there's a cruelty to that yeah
3: absolutely because like,
0: you only do that as an act of cruelty yeah,
3: yeah and, and i think the thing about that is like people do it just kind of like almost naturally sometimes like it's just a thing that because we're able to just reason about things I think like you know infinitely right we can just we can just debate and we can just rationalize and we can just intellectualize the past as much as we want and we can kind of almost create any answer that we want but I I think the to bring like an important Christian concept of forgiveness is like well, in order to forgive something, and this is why forgiveness is so radical, is because it involves a certain kind of forgetfulness, right? Because if I remember something, if I bring up the past to make it relevant, if I try to make the sin relevant again, then I'm not really forgiving. And so that's why it's like, it's really important when you forgive that you also kind of need to forget. And that's one important like thing that I think a lot of us don't really take to heart, you know?
0: I think that's really fucking wise, and I love that idea, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like, there are very many different kinds of lies, and a lot of them are actually inherently good. Like, really letting things go, really forgiving people, you know, really accepting yourself, being kind is a certain kind of lying sometimes. And that's a good kind of lying and you should do it. You know, like if you have somebody in front of you who's dying, right? Let's say you had like a really, really complicated relationship with this person and they're in front of you and they're actively dying and they say, do you forgive me? And the answer is no, not really. Do you say no? Right. Do you tell them, yeah, I forgive you, it's okay, so that they can die peacefully? Are you willing to lie as an act of kindness? You know, and I mean, I personally, hell yes, i am willing to lie as an act of kindness. To me, that is extremely justified and good, you know, but if you look at lying as an inherently evil thing, it becomes much more challenging. And so I guess like, you know, earlier, you know, you said, would we lie to benefit people? right? And I mean, my answer is like, yeah, yeah, I would lie to help people. I would try not to do it in a way that fundamentally compromised my moral integrity. But would I tell like small lies? Yeah. If somebody was dying and their dying wish was for me to forgive them, I would say I do even if I don't.
2: It's funny because we went into this talking about it on like that interpersonal level. And Mm -hmm. really, the most of this conversation has been about like the deep micro internal level of how we feel about it. You know, and you've just Mm -hmm. gone from like, I would do what was right to now that you've had this internal battle about how do you feel about like, is it good? Is it bad? It's positive. Now you're like, yes, I'm willing to also act in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's interesting. But also, I want to say what we're talking about, like material and immaterial and all that goodness. um, We started this discussion about like how important was the strength of religion? And the better that are, it's not necessarily that religion won't be here and it won't last for a long time because, like, it obviously will be around for a long time. But what impact does it have on us as humanity? Like, does it have the ability to hurt us, like, en mass? Like, does it cause crusades? Does it cause like religious warfare? Or is it something that allows us to uh, have a, a good and kind and peaceful and generous life and relate to each other better and all those positives that most religious people, you know, consider fundamental to their experience? Well, I think part of that is material because once you give people like a certain amount of like, you know, power, they no longer need these institutions for like material survival. You see, like we have a new generation and that new generation, uh, is less into these religious ideas. The less power that those religions have in terms of their weight over the human race, I think the more they have room to be genuinely beneficial because as smaller institutions, they don't have the spiritual, they're like God cops, right? We're defunding and abolishing religion. We're not necessarily destroying every religious institution, but we are making them to where spiritually they can't, they don't have the weight of like being able to obliterate our spiritual and moral lives. And we can still weigh with ourselves and grapple with ourselves as people instead of necessarily being beholden to big Jesus, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I wanted to kind of say this at the beginning, but I think it works well as we're sort of like wrapping up a little bit here. I assume by time that we're kind of wrapping up here. So that we can Um. all be
2: one Uma, which is really what
0: Right, right. Well, and, you know, I wanted to say this at some point, and it seems like a good time to say it. You know, I have been outside of religion my entire life, and I have grown up in the Bible Belt, and I have studied religion a lot of different ways academically. I took a lot of classes on, like, religion for different, various religions as sort of philosophical exercise. And, you know, if I have like a single broad observation about religion, it is that a person's moral and ethical framework and integrity happens first. And then they build their religion around that. And people will always fit their God into the kind of person they want to be. Whatever whatever that means to them is how people are going to ultimately interact with religion. And when those two come inherently into conflict, one of two things happens, right? The person either collapses emotionally and sort of implodes and kills off a part of themselves that is authentic and true and is worse for it, or they change their religion. You know, they leave the faith. They, they decide it no longer works for them. And I can't say that it's inherently a bad thing to kill off a part of yourself that is true that you think you don't need, you know? I hate that for some people that turns into like conversion therapy. You know, I don't think that conversion therapy is good or works or anything like that. And I don't want to say that is the case. But like independent of coercion, if you find yourself in a place where you're experiencing, you know, cognitive dissonance because you believe thing A and you have been doing thing B, like it is valid to choose to stop doing thing A, provided you're not the worst,
1: you know. I'm really glad you mentioned integrity because like we can't wrap this up without me getting a take in after you've given off so many spicy takes because I, I, I still have a slightly different take on some of this, which is that so the integrity thing and like this whole question of like doing something and then deciding that it's like it wasn't like it, it wasn't good enough or this or that. So part of the reason why I would I would not lie for political gain is because of a question of integrity. And this is actually kind of an interesting one, I think, because really what it is, is I don't want to have to police my own integrity. If I'm being as honest as I can be, then I don't have to question my motives as like heavily. Whereas if I'm lying because I think I'm doing quote unquote, the right thing, I have to police my integrity ultra heavily. And I know historically that the people who put themselves in that situation usually fuck it up. Like that's just, a, that's just a historical reality. So When I think about these kind of questions of like that kind of stuff, it's like, I just feel like if you're trying to practice the best honesty that you can, then you don't have to grapple with as much of this integrity stuff that you're describing right now. And so that's where I come from with like my slightly different take
2: is that like, I just think that the practice of honesty is easier. You're talking about you basically, Rachel is talking about using honesty to achieve utopia. And Kennedy is saying that honesty is utopia.
3: Hmm. Honesty is when (laughs) you're on the cross and then you tell the person right next to you that you're gonna be in paradise.
1: God damn it. Hell yeah. We can't wrap the episode
3: better than that. We cannot possibly wrap
1: the
2: episode better than that. Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ. Thank uh, you. So we mentioned
1: mentioned earlier uh, lying is a kindness, and we appreciate you listeners for doing that every single week when you tune into this show. If you give us money to do this, we
0: know that you don't mean it, but we do appreciate it.
1: But in all seriousness, listeners, you know we appreciate you so much for tuning in over and over again. Uh, this has been another wonderful episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it. We are not safe for wonks at NSF Wonks on Twitter. Search for not safe for wonks or not safe media anywhere. You'll find all kinds of stuff. And uh, also, if you go to Patreon.com/notsafe, that's where the magic happens. Every dollar that comes into our Patreon allows us to accomplish big goals for the podcast and do cool things because we are one hundred percent independent listener funded media and without you virtually nothing is possible so thank you to all of our listeners and patrons
2: truly from the bottom of our hearts and we'll see you next time but wait you know what this might pass this might pass samar hernandez as my number one favorite episode of the podcast it was really fucking great, man. Wow. It was really great. And I feel like I have really gotten to know all three of you in a really great way today. So props to that. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>